This time on TNT. Wait, is Michael Jackson Yacht Rock? We break down SNL. Plus, exciting news in the Torrance household. That's all coming up right now on TNT. Oh. I've got it going, the jam. <laughs> it's one of those songs that if someone said it by name, you wouldn't know what it is. But the second it kicks in, you're like, oh, man. Well, we're... Let's, we were talking about just off a second ago when, when, I, when we're starting here that people are digging the Yacht Rock and uh, I was saying how sometimes you'll hear a song that you haven't heard in a long time and that will bring back memories. That's another reason why people are digging it, right? But this one, everyone probably hasn't heard in a couple decades. <laughs> Who is it? It's 10cc. Come on. Which is kind of, it's like a collection of masks. Two of the guys in this band are, remember, uh, uh, Godly and Cream? Remember yeah, of that band? Yeah, they're in this band. They and are? Like, there's, yeah, there's like some other mask from another band that had hits later. That's the other, with all these yacht rock bands. The, the, those these soft rock '70s bands were all like heavy duty musicians in their own right that were either producers or like session players. Like Toto was all the best kind of session players at the time that got together and to play together because they were always in the studio doing other things, right? So is this one then, called "I'm Not in Love"? I'm not yeah. in love. <laughs> but the thing, like. 10cc is also like the things I do for love. That that oh, jam. Really? That's really. Yeah, yeah. They're kind of sneaky with hits. Like they have more than just one. But uh, definitely you know, uh, solid musicians again. But like how I was saying with Toto, look if that one band Toto spreads from uh, just you know the songs Africa and Roseanne all this, but into Thriller. As well, because they're the musicians that did played on most of. Come on, yeah, and wrote like uh, uh, human nature and uh, a few other songs are co-writes with with uh, Paige or whatever from from Toto. No way. Yeah, like Steve Lukather does all the rhythm guitar on "Beat It," but Eddie Van Halen plays the solo. But Steve Lukather on most of the record. What is the best Michael Jackson song? Well, it has to be on Thriller, I'd say. Because that mean record sold On that record, okay. So not the actual 66, song. 66 million copies, right? Yeah, I don't know about what song would be the best song on that record. There, there's some cheese on that record. And I think in that Yacht Rock TV YouTube show, they joke about that, like... How important it is to get Michael Jackson to record a Yacht Rock jam. <laughs> so, where they like kidnap him or something to get him to record that song, the Toto guys. Conan O'Brien, <laughs> someone shared it this morning. Conan O'Brien did a Michael, Mc, Michael McDonald summer camp sketch. There you go, nice. Where Michael McDonald was the counselor. <laughs> but it, yeah, that, but the, the, those musicians, it just bleeds into so much culturally uh, in the 70s and 80s. And then, you know, the music scene, just really in America, it's kind of like everything that happens in L.A. really gravitates around those musicians and these kind of sessions and producers and stuff. It's pretty classic stuff. So, yeah, you keep on cruising to that Yacht Rock, buds, because there's been so much positive feedback of people saying I heard this song or is this song a, Wait a sec. yacht is, rock jam is human nature yacht rock it is absolutely <laughs> let's not, yeah man, for sure hold on let's get it going here why <laughs> right that weird key thing why <laughs> totally it's, like, it's 
It's Toto. Reaching out. <laughs> it, it, it's funny because it doesn't really sound like Michael Jackson. <laughs> no, it sounds like... It's Yacht... Oh my gosh, it's Yacht Rock. <laughs> It actually has like sailing vibes. No, but yeah, like this rhythm guitar part right here, Steve Lukather. He's just crushing it rhythmically. Like that, you know how hard it is to play that? All muted like that, but grooving at the same time. Funny, I would have said that's like, that's in the conversation for my favorite Michael Jackson song of all time, along with Smooth Criminal. <laughs> And don't stop till you get enough. It's pretty undeniable. <laughs> it's totally. Oh total. my gosh! It's yacht rock. Yeah, there's Jeff Picaro just crushing it on the rim clicks. The one you just played, the I'm not in love. Yeah. Sounded like at the start it could have been everyone's high on the conversation. The um, uh, uh, she's gone. Hollow Notes. Oh, yeah. She's well, they're gone. hardcore. Oh, uh, oh, uh. Are they? They're, they're like, they're fathers they of the rock. Big time. Hugely. I mean, really? you, can, you can't really go far without, like, hearing their songs in a yacht rock compilation. Here's one, one of their biggest. I can't go for that. Tell me this ain't it. Boom, ka, boom, ka. What? <laughs> this is just smoothie here. You know what's funny is that they said this uh, was like Michael Jackson heard this beat and this was the beginning of Beat It. Wow. Like he heard this beat. Like that's where I came up with Beat It, the feel for it. Because he did the programming on Beat It and this was Beat It or Billy this. Jean? Um, either or maybe. Yeah, maybe Billie it's Billy Jean. Not my love. I think Billy Jean's faster. Is it? Yeah, but just the vibe of this definitely was influential to that to him on on one or the other of those. <laughs> Who sampled it? Oh, this was hugely sampled. This Della song Soul. Too. Yeah. Right here, it gets full on, the boat. Get the Sperry's on. Um, crazy, I didn't realize. So, I'm discovering that my taste in music is yacht rock. <laughs> it really but I just is, didn't know it was called that. And the other thing is it opens up that, like, Kenny Loggins had a huge career outside of films, right? Because, like, he was all f soundtrack jams from Caddyshack on. But before that, he was, like smooth music guy and had hits because like he wrote with uh <coughs> michael mcdonald a lot of those songs are with kenny loggins co-writes like what a, fool believe, what a fool believes is is michael mcdonald and kenny loggins and this is kenny loggins solo jam but i think it's written with michael mcdonald and he's doing the backups remember this is it <laughs> no it's like classic cheese, like a chaka chaka. Wow, like music you put on with a glass of champagne to get some girl fired up. I don't know what girls are getting <laughs> fired up to this, but no, I'm saying in the '80s, like the cheesy <laughs> apartment with the white carpet and like the, the the glass table with the champagne glasses and the cheap fake fire. Okay, so wait a sec. <laughs> right? Loggins and Messina wrote Danny's song, which Anne Murray made yeah. famous. Is she yeah. Yacht Rock? I wouldn't say so, but listen to Mike McDonald backups. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so are the Bee Gees Yacht Rock? Well, Yacht Rock essentially is kind of uh, the music, the rock music that encapsulated disco as well. So a lot of those same musicians played a lot of on those Bee Gees records too. So Staying Alive and all that stuff definitely would fall under, in, under this because it's the same group. 
of, of folks. How about this one? That this is a classic. That you know what? I said, I, Tiger Torrance is on, on the verge of becoming a podcast about yacht rock. Well, it is and for I'm now. Feeling very conflicted about this. No, that we're just we go through phases, and right now this is it. But remember, I sent you that picture. I was like, look at this mask. And it's from Player, the band, the Baby Come Back band. That's Yacht Rock. Yeah, but I Baby sent you... I Remember I texted you. I was like, look at the... Remember this mask? And it was the guy from The Bold and the Beautiful actor with yes. the hairdo. Yes, he, and he's a Yacht he Rocker. Was, he was in that band. And I'm like, That's not no. fair. Like, he's, he's gorgeous. <laughs> And he's no. on a soap opera, and he's a musician guy. No, but the funniest story is like he's what Ron Moss is the I guess the bass player, backup vocalist guy. He had like time off in like the '81 or something, and then he got that gig like just probably hanging out on the set on the soap right? opera. Like he was yeah, dating like, one of the like, birds on the show. No, like no, it was like it's like as a whatever pickup actor went to the soap and just was like standing there with that face. And they're like, <laughs> they "Quick, you need to get on your mark." Imagine you're the casting guy and he walks in. You're like, "Get over here!" Get over here, gorgeous. <laughs> like the equivalent equivalent of like that Hal Hemsworth guy like how long it took him to become a star in Hollywood like like five minutes or like Brad Pitt or something walking around like how long did it take for him to get a part right and they're like get over here <laughs> but for that guy in the soap like he kind of came a soap like that's a soap guy cause he had that hairdo <laughs> I know he's gorgeous but even his, I used to think he was wearing a rug because his hair just looked so, like he, he wouldn't care. His, his face is just so solid that his hair could look like it's like a rat trap. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter. His face is so solid. He's a man rocket. Here's a good question. Oh, we have a lot to talk about, actually. Um, here's a good question for you. What? Um, I was reading the biography of Peter Jennings because I've always been fascinated by news anchors and how their voices are so re reassuring and confidence instilling. And in the biography of Peter Jennings, who, if you don't know, was a Canadian guy before Peter Mansbridge, who was uh, an anchor of World News Tonight on ABC. Maybe he was one, one of, of the biggest of all time. Yeah, one of the big yeah. three with Dan Rather and yeah. Ted Koppel. And Cronkite. And Ted Koppel, and this <laughs> is Nightline. Um, but Peter Jennings was a handsome guy, had this great voice, was a news anchor. And um, I remember reading in the biography of this guy who worked with him, went out to a nightclub, and Jennings is an awesome dancer. And the guy's like, man, <laughs> come, come on. on. Really? It's not it's not fair. Like all this power and charm and good looks and money and he's a great dancer too. That's not fair. So my question to you is, who would you say has a lot going for them? <laughs> who has it all? Like Yeah, who have you crossed paths with oh, that you're God. like, man, that guy. Come on. Uh <clears throat> Well, I don't. I mean, I don't know. Don Walker comes to mind, like the Magna CEO. Yeah, I know is a buddy of mine. Like he's kind of like that. He's like a good-looking guy, has a great job, incredible job. He actually <laughs> just retired from Magna, but he's the kind of guy that, like, when he retired, you think he would have everything to just kind of chill, but he's probably just going to go crush something that no one has any idea about. Right. He bought Pizza Pizza as a hobby. Like well, no more on the more on the engineering tip, you know, and I think affecting things more. You know what I mean? Like he's that kind of guy. He, like wants uh, to disrupt things. Well, no, for the better. Yeah, I think he's a person that uh, could do a lot of great things uh, for Canada and the and the world. You know, he's he's that kind of guy. So yeah, that's I would say. Who else? That's like like a, it's, Johnny it's Damon. More personal. Johnny Damon's up there for sure. Yeah. 
I mean, like good-looking guy, baseball player. Yeah, definitely. Like, hey, what's going on? Whoa, you want me to come here for fifty grand? Okay, <laughs> right? Just want to sign some balls and hang out for half an hour for whatever. Like, just whatever's going. Sure, man. One of those guys. Oh yeah, I'll play your golf tournament. Whatever. Yeah, definitely. He's got a definitely a, a you know well-deserved uh, life, but based on. Nobody was doing that when he was doing push-ups and working out and trying to run his arse off when he was a teenager, right? So, yeah, definitely. Who else? Who in, like, Canadian music do you think, man, that guy's got it going on? <laughs> Canadian music. <laughs> it's such a funny question. Uh, well, I don't know, like, on every level, right? Yeah. I'm sure Buble's got it going on on everything, right? <laughs> you know, I've had some unfortunate stuff happen and like with family stuff, but I mean in terms of his career and all that, it's pretty pretty insane. The boobs? Yeah. I don't know when you see someone who's like just uh I think for me it's more like uh uh impactful and uh what they do the work that they do and what it accomplishes and, and all of those things. So, yeah, it's, it's hard to hard to pick the... Well, I also dig the guys that have all these hidden talents, too, <laughs> right? You know, like... Uh, what's the guy, Ben, from Said the Whale's like a ninja on the side? Like, he can do all these martial arts and stuff? What do you mean he's like a ninja on the side? Yeah, like he's like really good he's at martial arts. He's a part-time ninja? Arts. Yeah, yeah, like running around in the forest with nunchucks. <laughs> really, and he's a good-looking guy. Yeah, sure. He's a like nice that, guy. That whole band are all sweethearts, but like it's interesting when you see uh, someone who has a really cool talent as well outside of what they do, which is already if you're gifted enough to be a professional performer in any length. And then to have, you know, those, those hours put into something else as well as good, it's interesting. Like, it, um, t talented wise, like, it was always blow, it would blow my mind, like Jamie Edwards, who was a guy who played with Our Lady Peace, did a lot of recording, even did writing with us on, like, uh, Gravity and uh, Spiritual Machines. He did a lot Who's of work. He? What's he got going for him? Well, he's one of those guys who can play every instrument. Oh, yeah, like, okay. Deftly, though, like, not just, like, pretty well, like, a few chords. Like, all he gets on the guitar and he can shred, like, Johnny Greenwood from Radiohead and then get on the piano, which is his main instrument, and play Tchaikovsky. Like, hard. That's chord. a whole other category of, like, well, man... <clears throat> When I first went to see, it's like my buddy Jason Sutter, he's like, you gotta, we were looking for like another uh, uh, guitar player to kind of fill in because that, 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 it was on either happiness or spiritual machines where we just had all so much extra stuff going on sonically in the songs that it was not, it was too much for a three piece to carry musically. So we needed to add a guitar player or keyboard guitar guy or girl because Robin Hatch filled that role as well. <clears throat> And, uh, yeah, Jamie was just one of those guys that uh, could play everything, so he was a great facilitator for a band. And in when I first went to go kind of scout him out, I guess, I went down to Boston, where he, where he lived and was from, and I saw him play, like, a, a concert, piano concert and at a church, like, literally, just him on a piano, crushing this classical music for, like, 30 minutes and then I saw him go play with a band and he in that band he played crushed guitar and keyboards and I was like man I've seen enough this is the guy <laughs> and is he gorgeous yeah he was a good looking guy I, yeah. I used to say he uh he looked kind of like uh professor from the from Gilligan's Island yeah okay right Russell yeah, Johnson that's good luck. Little Russell Johnson vibes. Oops. That's a good look. Yeah, he was a, he was a great guy. I haven't talked to him in a long time, but I wish him the best. He was a, a joy to play with, 
For sure. I would fire um, Jared Kiso on that list. Oh, yeah. He's got all kinds of everything going for him. Yeah, for for a bunch of different reasons, not the yeah. least of which he's, is he's he, humble. He, he's got he's some kind. sneaky talents. Sneaky Big time, talents. yeah. Well, I, as I said in our best-selling book, Canadianity, all you have to do is watch the difference between his portrayal of Wayne and his portrayal of Don Cherry and his portrayal of a cop on 19-2. Like, he's got range, good-looking guy, but more so funny, nice, humble... Um, and he, he plays music too, though, right? He knows how to. Yeah. He can rock it out. Little known yes. facts. I mean, yeah. it's, I mean, to be honest, so I hear. I think he's, I think he's a little uh, low key about it. Like I know it's something that he does in his life that brings him joy, but I don't think he's like out there with it. No, but I'm sure if if I sat down and we got into things jamming, he could rock. So yeah. that would be that's that's a that's a good thing to have in the in the. Uh, on the palette of works there. But I, mean, I guess what I'm what I'm great. hearing what I'm hearing uh my criteria need to include is nice person too. Because yeah, there's no definitely. um there's no jealousy there. Like you're you're so happy for me, such a nice person and works harder than anyone and um is a good leader to the people that he works with, like all that stuff. Yeah. That that falls under my got it going on <laughs> bucket. For sure. I don't know. It's a funny phrase to say about people like, who do you think has it going on? Well, our, our buddy Gary LeBlanc, he's one of those guys for sure. Yeah, he's got it going on, sure. Yeah. When you're standing around with him, you feel like, okay, like it's like you're, you're first he's six foot four and a good looking guy, but really muscular. And that alone, you just feel like people yeah, are staring at on. you. Sure. You feel like everyone's staring at you the whole time. It's like, uh, but he also has a good head on his shoulder, and he's yeah, that a kind t- that's, person. That's the, and the tip of the iceberg. Yeah, you're like, hey, wait a second. Not only do you look like this guy, but you're also hilariously intelligent. So right. That's I don't know. I mean, it, it, looks is is a is a is a is a absolute roll of the dice, man. Like you're lucky if you're good looking. Yeah, that, you know that's it. Because there's no way other other way around. Unless you spend a bunch of money changing things about your face or if your body or whatever, like you want to look like like when the SpongeBob episode of when Squidward all of a sudden becomes super beautiful. He like smashes his <laughs> face and then he can't walk around in public because he's too hot for everybody. <laughs> It's you know, a funny it's just, concept. It's just it's a roll of the dice, man, and uh, you just go with it from there. But it's it, when you get it, you, you get it, and that's why I see if some person who's being a d bag in there, you can see they're clearly attractive. It's like you're a lucky face bastard. <laughs> you lucky faced bastard. Yeah, go fuck yourself and your lucky face. But at the same time, it it this is such a cliche in and of itself, but. Someone who's attractive but knows it is that's the shortcut to unattractive. That's the great equalizer. I know, but they don't like that's the thing. They wield that thing as another thing where it's like not only I have this cold as ice thing that somehow like makes me more desirable for my social media brand. You know that what I'm talking about? Just that up nose to the air BS. Well, yes. So this is this is the. the looming fear I have uh, when I think about the current state of things, what happens when no one can find another person they love as much as their own image with an Instagram filter? Like what happens societally when you just press the button and everyone looks the same? Yeah. (laughs) Which is kind of what's happening anyway. Yeah, really. Or if you're if you're um if the gas you need is clicks and likes and subscribes and whatever's and you get pretty taken with doing some TikToks or the hand jives that you want to put up on the Instagram and that's what's kind of driving you, how isn't that's just a terrible end game. Well, it's bad, yeah. But I mean that's why you just, you know, that's what the other thing, the spin of that is like if you have some character and look uh, look your own way, 
<laughs> it's it's honestly and and you're you you come across as intelligent or funny or whatever it 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 works to your benefit and next thing you know people are making their face look like that person just because they became popular you know They're- what 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 drove you like i think part of the reason um when i went to la part of the reason i didn't stick it out is because fame didn't ever drive me i in yeah, fact well. that felt like the worst <laughs> aspect of a career in film and tv fortunately fame didn't seek me out either but it, it was never a motivator for me yeah was it for you well what do you think imagine i said yeah man that's all i wanted to do was be famous and for people to look at me and go man that guy's on tv a lot <laughs> right? i know but i i, I know it was ab- it was never that it was i looked at music as a blue collar you know just trying to work it's something that uh most people that do it aren't famous and most people that do it it's just about learning as much as you can about the craft if you look at it as just uh the thing that you're looking at becoming better at and then just getting that to a level of mastery that was that's a lot of work man if you go through that process that it's too much work to care about the other stuff but you kind of do in a way you have to think about yourself how you show yourself how you socialize with people how you because it's a lot it's it's not just being great at the instrument but in in the big picture if you focus on how good you are and how making it better then that will kind of pay the dividends a- after the fact you know you can see i i guess i'd i'd like to think that the people that are motivated by fame and you can spot them those are the ones that don't last because that is fleeting yeah. If that's what's driving you, that is fleeting. Yeah. yeah For I don't one know. of two reasons. One is you try to fill the hole and realize that you never can. No, because um, it, it's it's also it works both ways, man. You can also be completely phony, and all you care about is like image and looking a certain way. But you have to just uh, push that stuff out on every level all the time and it's a that's the work is the posting and the commenting and the pushing of your own social media which is a lot of work too but you see it pay off like my my kids watch certain people that do videos and of content they like but there are massive amounts of people that just follow formulas of other people that are famous like their video comes out a day later and it's basically on the same thing but because they really work hard on getting it out there, they have, you know, 5 million subscribers and a lot of people lit following along. So it's almost like when you walk into a store and you see the, re- as a kid, you see the real G.I. Joe and then you see the fake G.I. Joe that's half the price. You're like, yeah. why would someone even make that? But that secondary or third one has a marketplace that's enough to make it exist. So therefore, doesn't doesn't really matter... And you can't say be real or nothing will happen because you just have to work hard to push if you want to be one of those people that are just trying to push content to get people to follow it, to make money from it. That seems to be the only way to make money these days anyway, right? If you're, if you want to be, if you don't want to have a normal job and, and, and in any industry as an actor or everything, you have to kind of have this other option as a social media thing right or else you kind of fall through is, the cracks it's exhausting though yeah no because it's it's all these all these extra hours that you don't necessarily get paid for that aren't accounted for it's expected and i sometimes i think like i i work really hard to write clever uh tv show ideas and pitch them and uh, spend time thinking about the characters' names and uh, yeah. interesting backstories and how they collide. And then someone makes Fart Police. Yeah. And it has 60 million <laughs> yeah. subscribers or whatever. I'm like, why am I trying so hard? I know. 
Well, because what you're doing is working on your level and it's real. It's all based on being what you're saying, the, the work that you're creating. So thank thank God you have that to maintain, Whether uh, as opposed to starting from nowhere and like wh- which way do you go, you know, if that's what you want to do. Well, and, and don't get me wrong, I am saying it with, um, with interest and respect. Like, it, yeah. it's like the, the people, the stand-up comics that aren't funny who say, like, man, you can't say anything nowadays without people getting all offended. Well, those, that's what unfunny people say because yeah. uh, in my limited exposure to TikTok, there are 15-year-old girls doing really genuinely creative and funny 15 second clips that have millions of likes. So you can say things and find a funny and unique take on things. It's just maybe not the way you're used to, or you, uh, you yourself can excel in, right? Yeah. Like I I think it's, it's kind of, it, it's kind of cool that, Technology is the great equalizer and everyone has the same shot, right? It doesn't really, everyone can start a TikTok. It doesn't really matter who you know. If it's funny and it resonates with people, then it it doesn't rely on anyone else giving you a green light. That's kind of awesome. It is, but it's also like uh, depressing, like you said, when you see people that are just getting a million followers because they (laughs) do the same dance someone else did, but like they just know how to figure out how to put content out at the same at the correct time to catch into the algorithms to to score on some other level, you know. But who's going to work at Randy River? I know there is no one's like there is no Randy River. Le Chateau just closed down, bud. That's I know. That's but the thing. If everyone's all, pursuing like, like shirts on Amazon. <laughs> who's going to hold it down at Esso? Who's going to hold it down? What do you True what, story? What do you mean though? Who's gonna hold it down at SO? Like who's gonna who's gonna want to work those jobs if everyone is trying to Kardashify no. their way to the finish line? Well, I'll say the other way is like who? Uh, more and more, it seems that like you'll see. Like I just saw last a month ago, the new they're they're firing up a new bus with the robotic bus that just drives itself shuttle bus boy so there's another you know what the hell's convenient about a job gone for this i get that they're expensive in the r&d and they say well this thing costs 50 million dollars to create but you're just erasing jobs and you know you see it at go to the eaton center and there's just this like magnetic math going around (laughs) cleaning the floors I know I always feel bad for the masks that work in these places whose job it is to drive you to the self-checkout, for example. Well, I just see, in my mind, I see the huge company and I see the guy whose job it is to try and take out a uh, payroll somewhere. So they figure out, well, we could probably save it here if we robotize, roboticize these masks and then take the, the people out here and then we end up making $3 million more. And that's what the problem is. It's just that that keeps happening to the point of like any job that like requires something that's kind of uh, in the position of there's no art form to it. You can mimic it completely with the robot and without problem, they will decide to do that because it will be cheaper in the long run as opposed to being what I guess back in the day, the idea of starting a company in a town is to eventually start giving back to the town through jobs and taxes and helping to build other things. And that's not happening like it used to. It's just that company opens up and just collects everything on every level. Do you know what's interesting is um, I obviously have, uh, as many people our age do, a fondness and an affection for David Letterman. Because yeah. he uh, reinvented the genre, did things that were crazy uh, in TV and had never done, been done before, like the episode where the image rotated 360 over the course of the hour. So at the bottom of the hour, it was upside down and 
over the course of the show, it just kind of rotated on this slow axis. Mm -hmm. And the Velcro suit and putting Pepto-Bismol in a car and sinking it and all those things that were like, whoa, that is crazy. Obviously, this generation is doing those um, challenging those norms on all these social media platforms and different outlets. Carol and I have been watching our next guest needs no introduction, which is Letterman's interview show oh. on Netflix. Yeah, it's great. Well, yeah, it is. The guests are great. But what I've noticed is Letterman is a terrible interviewer. And I, I don't know if it's because there's no audience uh, in a couple of the episodes we watched or because he's gotten more self-loathing or if he was always kind of bad, but it, it's just more noticeable now. I really feel like I was giving him a lot of credit for being a great interviewer as one of his skills. But his questions are like, would you say your dad was supportive or did he get in your way or was he jealous or was he kind of non-existent? That is in day one of interview school, what you call a menu question, because the person can just pick whichever aspect of the items you've offered them and address it and let the rest of it just kind of fall to the wayside. Yeah. His, his questions are shockingly bad. He, I, I guess it's it's a textbook example of someone who's resting comfortably on their laurels. But I guess I guess what I'm wondering when I watch it is, am, am I has he changed or has the medium changed so much that my that he just seems like a dinosaur or was he always not great at? My guess is he's probably not making nearly the same. And he probably doesn't have a staff of writers the same as he did with his show that probably gave him a lot of great questions. It's probably the biggest thing is like, well, this is going to be a conversation, not an interview show. And this is yeah. because this is this is uh, fair enough. This isn't the same thing. You know, like if you look at it, like you said, it's it's seems more like a live setting almost, which. I guess in his mind, it's just it's not nearly the same. So he's going to take it more from that approach, right? Like just chat, chat and I'll give you a chat. I'm not I mean, giving you a talk show host, right? What he does do is give his guests space sure. to finish and think. And he he's not afraid of the silence, which is great. Mm -hmm. But um, I, I found him, I, I guess part of it is because I'm sort of watching him through Carol's eyes and she knows he's someone that I hold in high regard and she's, you know, being nice and, and kind of polite about it. But you can tell she, she's like, I don't, well, she said as much like, I, I don't, um, I don't really get him. I kind of see how he could be annoying. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, you're right. He is. <laughs> well, I, 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 I went to the show once with, as a guest with Pearl Jam and they were playing there and, and, uh, I saw him a couple times throughout the day, like when they were performing. And one time it was right after the show, walking up to his office in the stairwell. And I don't know if I've ever seen a more surly, angry person in my life. Funny, eh? Like that guy was, I was not going to say hello. Because <laughs> he just looked like he was focused on kicking some ass once he got up and through that door. So... Well, yeah, I think that's certainly his reputation. I think it's the pressure of have, trying to be number one because he wasn't for a long time. And after he was, and like when it was easier in the early days when he didn't have the competition. But once competition yeah. came into play and like you've got guys yelling at you all the time to be better and try and compete with Leno or even at Carson that was completely different from you. So the pressure, I can't imagine. Like I remember when we played Conan O'Brien, I heard him one time screaming at his writers through the roof, like sitting in the green room, green room, and him yelling about what the hell are you guys giving me? This is terrible. So I'm sure they're. I know I've certainly heard that about him too, and that's that doesn't reconcile in my mind. Like, yeah. what's he cranky about? Well, it's because they're probably in their mind gonna get fired or lose their job because they're not number one right they gotta maintain that 
I, I, you know, I'm, it's the fast lane that doesn't get any faster. So I think that's probably why they're just like uh, exhausted in between the show and after the show. I, I don't know if uh, I think probably Jimmy Fallon or would be probably the closest to a normal guy that t- does a talk show host. Other, yeah. Otherwise, I'm sure they're probably just really uh, surly. <laughs> Have you been watching SNL? Yeah, I've seen bits. Like, I, I watched the first one. It was really bad, and I kind of was like, forget it. But then the Jack White performance got me kind of back into it. So I'll always watch the first half hour, I guess. And that's because that's when the best skits are, and the rest are usually horrifying. Garbage. And if it's a good... Uh, Even... Yeah, sorry. <clears throat> the first... Um, the first... I think it was the second sketch. First of all, Jim Carrey's Biden. Yeah. I don't even get. I, I don't even get. Like, there's nothing manic about Biden. And Jim Carrey's comedy is obviously very manic and physical. Yeah. So aside from the smile, it's not really landing. Yeah, for sure. For me. Um, the second sketch in the first episode was like... Uh, I don't know if you remember it. It was like, what's your name? Uh, pussy. Yeah, it was juice. It was like, like, how's that even funny on paper? Oh my gosh. Yeah, that's when I was like, that's and, it. I'm out. <laughs> and I know, I know people uh, have, speaking of fondness and nostalgic affection for that franchise. But at the same time, as someone who sort of works in the comedy space, you think... Really, you have access to, in theory, the best writers and performers in the comedy world right now. Yeah. And someone put that forward as, you know, what we should do is this. But you know what? I think it's the whole thing of like the hierarchy is so strong that they'll be like, you know what? We're not using your funny sketch. We're going to go with this piece of shit. And because fuck you, that's why. Like, I think that happens more than... Oh man, let's all get together and do the best show possible this week. It's like, no, your yeah. sketch doesn't get in because then you get ahead of me on the writing, and that becomes like I don't get my chance. So the the, the fights in there must be incredible. Like you know, comedians incredible. Oh my god, like it's they're already set like uh, you know, uh, self conscious, cautious. the conscious. Yeah. Like they already have a, an issue with like dealing with people. Then you're thrown into a room where there's clearly a boss. And so they have underlings and, oh, forget it. No way. Well, I remember hearing Bill Hader say, I think on the Mark Maron podcast, like for the first few years, he didn't even know week to week if he was going to be fired or whatever. And then someone finally said, well, if Lauren doesn't say anything, you're doing great. <laughs> so he's like, oh, all right. Well, oh, I didn't even know he knew I existed. So um, I'll have to just assume I'm doing okay. Yeah, it's almost like if you think about it, when it first started in the 70s, it was kind of a collection and nobody was really caring who was the boss as much as what was funny and realizing that the content was the king. But it seems to me that that show, more than anything, is the, its failure is that. The, the, the hierarchy kills the comedy every single week because it's it's clearly not a group of people trying to make the funniest thing because there's a lot of funny people in that place and for some reason it's consistently poor so like good point yeah good point you need to hear the um people in the room going well here's a stack of 200 sketches i've written that i know in my heart are funnier than anything we've put to air but never made it yeah and you don't see the you don't see the rise of the hey this guy is just brand new and or this girl's hilarious it, they all of a sudden remember in the early days if someone came new to the cast and caught fire there'd be five sketches with them in the next week you don't see that yeah. anymore you see bit characters stay bit characters and the same main characters are always in every sketch and now the punchline is actually pete davidson cracking up like that's it that that's enough for people to say that's funny i saw a clip on nbc with a sketch of that the lobster sketch or whatever. And the good bu- good burger mask is in the lobster, the lobster, and he's singing, and it's funny. 
But then it cuts to Pete Davidson. He's laughing out, of, like laughing his head off out of character. And then it ends as their little clip. So that's the punchline. Yeah. Like, really? That's how far it's come? Like, I know Jimmy Fallon made a career based on that. And kind of Adam Sandler a little bit as well, right? Of laughing out of character and then like kind of being endearing to the fans, right? But that's all that the Pete Davidson guy does. Apparently, Mike Myers was the last person to make movies with characters that he developed on that show. Oh, yeah. That Lauren didn't own any of. That's right. Yeah. So after that, like all the Sandler characters and stuff that went on to do movies, I, I feel like, yeah. I remember someone telling me when you signed an SNL contract, you had to say you'll appear in three movies for a hundred grand. Yeah. And I think it was like you can be an extra in someone else's movie or kind of a bit part or something. So yeah, what? You owe us three. It's really, if you think about it, that's why you don't see characters develop that are new into something because I'm sure the the com the comedians or whoever like the boss doesn't want somebody to become a star on him <laughs> yeah whoever the head writer especially is. if he's not gonna own any of it yeah that's crazy I heard the most disturbing thing maybe I've ever heard in my life that happened in New York this past week a man fell uh, through the sidewalk because of a sinkhole he fell fifteen feet down into a pit of rats. No way. I mean, people keep saying like, oh, that's so peak 2020 and, oh. and the, the phrase has grown a little tiresome, but that's sort of... <laughs> like that's if, sort if of 2020 had a full-on description, like that's it. Yeah. Did he survive? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> But that is, if someone asked what my idea of hell is, it would be falling into well, isn't a pit of well, rats. but that is hell. Like if they're, they're like a, you fall below where you are, it's dark, cavernous, cold, and it's actual. The floor hell. is rats. Like, come on, that's worse than that. Like, you're getting plagues, bites. Like, ah, you're like. I find. What the hell? I find in the last few months, I am. Uh, really in search of space and simplicity and nature. Uh, we've been canoeing a little bit and going for walks and stuff and fall's already my favorite season. Yeah. I don't I don't have much of a desire to go to New York right now. I have a desire to go to the middle of the woods yeah. with my family. Are you feeling yeah, that? Yeah, I'm feeling walks. You know, I'm feeling the walks for sure. The walks are the best. It really is. Simpli the simplicity of it. Just not, you know, no, just not trying to uh, accomplish anything, but just wandering around. And the, the more you do it, the more you like it. And if you do it even more, then actually, you know, right, you could really get into it. <clears throat> well, our expression is, do you want to walk about it? And it's um, obvious, but when something's on our mind or we need to kind of bounce something back and forth to go for a little walk mm -hmm. and there's no temptation to do anything else you're just walking and um present and uh listening to each other yeah. instead of like one person doing the dishes one person sending an email yeah that's kind of one of the reasons i also want to move because going for a walk around here you're like stepping on and off the sidewalk around people and especially now that right. we're in lockdown again walking is like you are, eh? Yeah, you have to kind of cruise out a bit and then walk. It's just packed. Man. And and it's not it's it's not a, a big deal, but now that that we're getting around 1000 again and if they're we're literally above where we were on a full lockdown before. So obviously now it's just like keeping an eye on hospitals and that's kind of probably going to be the gauge of whether we have to go further into our stage 2 right now, but um yeah, you you have to kind of walk and walk to get a walk. But moving, we're actually uh, starting to look around at places. So crazy. Yeah. How does that feel? Well, it's fun and and frustrating a bit. Like we've seen a couple places, and I'm like, oh man, this is what we're looking at, right? So I've seen one good one, one not so good one. So you uh, <clears throat> you start to get a taste 
for, for to try and find a place in one of the toughest real estate markets in Canada. So you're seeing that how little you yeah, get for how much get, well, out I there? Mean, you don't really get a house with a three-bedroom house with a reasonable yard for under a million dollars. You know, yeah. and that's kind of Toronto to, you have to start thinking about 20, 30 minutes out of the city. And, you know, and that's maybe more. And, and it's not like you're getting much more there. Even if you're going to 40, 50 minutes, you're still going to spend the same amount of money. It's just whether you want uh, a, a yard or a pool, not both. <laughs> right so how far do you have to go to like see prices really drop a two hour drive well for sure yeah an hour and a half and you see prices drop but uh it depends because if it's accessible to a to a go station not really or if it's you know what i mean if there's a highway not necessarily so you kind of got to think about the future of like well if you want to find a place that's going to hold its value it has to kind of be in that system of to and from the city so but that to and from now can can rip around you can go to guelph on the go you know there's a lot of different spots to bury to to east to west to oshawa whitby you can kind of go everywhere now and a lot of these outside cities are becoming just as uh, populated now people want a little more space because of lockdowns and having to stay in their in their own home all the time they want more space too so that's it's uh people from the city are actually moving out so you can actually probably find a place in the city cheaper than a place around here wow that's wild yeah, it is really wild I wonder about those people who like went all in on three or four Airbnb condos and suddenly they're renting them for 36 bucks a night. Well, Vegas is like that, apparently. Like MGM Grand, 48 bucks. Wow. And the market was, the real estate market was super hot in Vegas. I wonder if it's dropped a bit. Well, I told you we made an exciting purchase in the Torrance household. Yeah. Something that, um, yeah. I don't know. It's ever since, I think, uh, probably had something to do with my mom passing away a few years ago and uh, really feeling the need to have roots where I'm from. So we've been kind of low-key looking at a place on PEI. It's my favorite place to be in the summertime. It's also, um, there's a real shortage of rentals there and the rental market's really strong. I think vacancy rate was at 0%. Oh, you couldn't find. The last couple of years, I like, think I, between my brother and other friends have like asked me. Obviously, through the pod, they'll, they'll ask me if I know anything about PEI because they're going out there, and I've looked at Airbnb, Airbnbs for friends. Yeah, nothing, nothing at all, or nothing. ridiculous expensive with not much. So yeah, yes. So I, I had, uh, I'd been looking at some different places, as you know, it's kind of my hobby looking on the real estate websites just to see what's yeah. out there. Um, found a couple of places that were like great rentals, but not on the beach. And Carol kept reminding me, um, you know, if, if you want something on PEI and the beach is one of the things you love about PEI, you should hold out for a place on the beach. And obviously it has to be within half an hour of Charlottetown to be rentable. Um, so, uh, Kelly Lance is a realtor in Charlottetown. If you're looking for a place on PEI, first of all, she's a bud. That's how we sort of no met the podcast. Wicked. She listens and has come to shows before. She's TNT bud. And outside of TNT, she's just a bud. Great realtor. Doesn't, um, she's not overtly pushy or doesn't try to steer you one way or the nice. other. So check this out. October 31st, 2019, I found this little place. And emailed Kelly and said, what do you think of this place? And she said, I think it's good. To be honest, I think it might be priced a little high, but the location is wonderful. This beach is really nice. Um, I know that part of the island. It's close to Charlottetown. I think it's great. So I kind of daydreamed throughout the winter looking at different places, but this place was always kind of in uh, the back of my mind. I really liked it. 
So this July, we went over and looked at two places. We looked at this place first. Actually forgot my flip-flops in the driveway at this first place. Ooh. And it's right on a beach. It's like steps further from the beach. You probably couldn't build it the today. Little, uh, the little with... on-purpose forget of the flops. Well, it wasn't <laughs> no, on purpose, but, but it's interesting how it played out. Your subconscious did it for you. My subconscious was planting a seed. So when we left, we got in the car and Carol was like, I don't even know if we need to go look at the second one. Like, I, I don't think we'll find a better... And it, it's a cottage. It's not a beach house. It's a little place. I sent you pictures of it. Yeah, um, nice. Needs a bit of elbow grease and a bit of an update. Classic, the location, though. which is the one thing you can't Classic. change. Beach yeah. cottage. So as we left, we were like, I don't even know if we need to look at the second place. Because um, that one, you're not going to get better than that. So we looked at the second place and became very smitten. It's a different experience but equally nice it was like a victorian farmhouse on the ocean on the south side of pei so more red sand but the water's warmer and it's that much closer to our house and we became smitten with it so we put an offer oh on wow it. um but it fell apart after the inspection uh, so we didn't close on it okay so i keep looking keep looking keep looking um finally Carol reminds me, as she's just so great. Um, she reminds me, you know, the, the first place that we looked at, we got in the car and said, I don't think we'll ever find a better place than that. We were totally smitten by it, but we had our head turned around by the second place. Maybe, you know, if, if it's a beach cottage we're looking for, what was wrong with that first beach cottage? Mm. So I emailed the realtor, the story's almost over. And say, you know what? What about that first place? Because the listing's still online. She writes back and says there's an accepted offer on it. So October 28th was the, if the conditions are going to be met, that's the day it's going to be met. October 28th, I email Kelly and say, I'm guessing the conditions were met. The whole day goes by, don't hear from her. Then she writes back and says, you'll never believe this. Uh, one of the conditions fell through, wasn't met. Um, so it's going back on the market. So awesome. we put in an offer, they come back, we go back, they come back, we go back. And then on October 31st, a year to the day from the first time I saw it on the internet, we came to terms on this cottage on PEI. It was a so we're going to rent it out all summer except for probably a week. And uh, yeah. Are you, you uh, so like, was it available for a year? Is that how long it was on the market? Or well, I... Here's what I gather, and, I, and I'm trying to, it's such a small place, I'm trying to respect the privacy of the sellers and not say specifically oh, where it is, etc. Yeah. But, but I gather the owners had uh, a few properties. They were, they live away. They were reserving the right to maybe come back at some point. This was the last mm -hmm. one. Um, they, they suddenly decided they're not actually ever coming back, so they were ready to sell it. But I think they were a little selective and maybe holding out for the best price possible and i don't know if they uh kind of vacillated back and forth between should we sell it should we keep it should we wait and see kind mm -hmm. of thing but for whatever reason it was off the market then back on the market just at the perfect yeah. time so i i i wasn't letting myself feel super excited about it but now that it's happened i realized this was a heart thing as much as it was a business thing. I, I really, for whatever reason at this point in my life, it was important to me to have a place in the place that I'm from. Sure. I never yeah. have. Yeah, that's right. And and I really want the girls to experience PEI beach summer the way I did growing yeah. up. And um, so yeah, I'm really excited about it. There, are, there aren't too many things in my life that I want. That was something that I wanted. and. It's not, uh, it's not extravagant or overwhelming. The financial commitment. It's a little cottage, but I'm. Psyched. Yeah, no, it's super cozy looking. Like it's perfect for like a week banger. Big right? time. The kids get to then. It's got that nice seawall there in front of it. Beautiful. Yes. That looks like it's been there for a while. And it's white sand, and it's a private beach. Like the, it's not heavily traveled i can't wait i'm i'm sorry very sweet so you could even and and the other thing is when when we went to look at it the girls were instantly like just down on the beach looking for sea glass and picking up seaweed and chasing each other mm -hmm. around like 
Yes, those are, I think the more complicated the world gets, those are the simple pleasures that just, I mean, you, you said it when you guys went to California too, like just watching the kids exhale. Yeah, for sure. I think we need, we need more, more ways to exhale. Definitely. Uh, the, uh, there's nothing better than a little rip on the ocean. For the kids, what's what's the no what's the, ga- the gap on swimming in that ocean? Like when when is it actually warm enough to swim? Well, the second place we looked at that was on the south shore. The water is warmer on the south shore because it's in the um, the body of water between Nova Scotia and PEI, so it's protected yeah. more. The north shore where this cottage is is traditionally colder. Um, you probably get legit seven solid yeah. weeks of swimming but with fringe weeks on either side so 10 to 12 yeah, but what, what? um the one thing you do have to be careful about on the north shore is the riptide oh yeah that's no joke is it Rippies. probably get deep you just don't it fight gets it. deep quick or what well it depends the, t- the tide comes in and and goes out and there are oh, sandbars yeah. and everything but the the big thing about riptides and PEIs, you don't fight it. Let yep, it take you out, come back. and then swim to the side and bring Yikes. back Yikes! Hey, there we go, bud. There's a one banger. A one in the banger, can. bud. And you gotta, you gotta get your day after you. Good chat. Good chat, and talk to you soon, bud. What about? <laughs>